Hey everybody, it's Jeremy from the future. I'm here to tell you about this episode because it's going to be a little different. Uh, We recorded one big episode about all the first three episodes of the TV show Hannibal. It is super long, and seeing as it is about three episodes, what we decided to do is go ahead and cut it up by episode so that you can experience it in one hour chunks instead of sitting through a full three plus hours of us talking about Hannibal all at once. So... You'll be hearing the first ep- you'll be hearing the introduction of all three episodes, what they contain, and then you'll be hearing us talk about the first episode. And instead of the ne- next digressively horrified, I'll be putting out the stuff about the second episode and then the stuff about the third episode, so that you can hear all of the great things that the four of us have to say about Hannibal. So enjoy the first episode, and when it ends abruptly, now you know why. All right, love you guys. Bye. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. (laughs) Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're switching it up a bit and talking about a TV show. <gasps> it's a TV show that combines all the things we love here on this podcast, being gay, doing crimes, and eating people. That's right. We're finally here to talk about a show that we already never shut up about, Hannibal. I am your host, and until this week, Hannibal Virgin, Jeremy Whitley. And with me tonight, I have a panel of the sexiest gay cannibals you've ever met. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Hungry. Food. I love the food porn in this show. And I've rationalized it out because it's not like the props have regular human meat lying around. So they have to use non-cannibal meat. So it's totally ethical to enjoy the food porn in this show. Sure. Next up, my frequent collaborator, comics artist and certified cannibal aficionado, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Thirsty. I think we all are uh, when we watch this show, right? That's what we can agree on. And our special guest tonight, a dear friend of mine, and one of the first people to ever edit one of my comics, a man who makes an entire comic about Hannibal and the other works of Brian Fuller. It's Dave Dwanch. How are you tonight, Dave? Uh, Actually, I wasn't before you said the word virgin and Hannibal in the same sentence, but now I'm horny. So uh, I'm pretty good. Pretty great. Thanks. This is the most erotic murder show (laughs) it's beautiful on every level it is one of the best shows ever made in my uh guesstimation my humble opinion same though well at the same well being that artistic it is somehow also like the polar opposite of breaking bad like whereas like everything in breaking breaking bad is like brutal and hard and scary even though it's like beautifully made Everything in Hannibal is slow and doesn't make a lot of sense and <laughs> is a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot heavier than, than a show like Breaking Bad to me. It's not about good time crime, right? I mean, that's like, yeah. it, even though you're, you're well, stressed by, by Breaking Bad, there's still some like, something about it. There, there, there's, a, there's an air of adventure where this is just heavy and murky and, and gross and beautiful. It's, it's, it, it makes me depressed if I watch too much at once. It's yeah. very effective. I feel like Breaking Bad a, is like a punch to a, the face, and then like Hannibal is like very slowly like cutting pieces off of you. It, you know, it's a heavy <laughs> show, but it's also so deliriously, deliciously extra as fuck. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, before this we jump show... into talking about the show in earnest, I did want to ask uh, Dave to tell us a little bit about your history with Hannibal and your comic Mind Palace. Uh, well, you know, I've been a huge Brian Fuller fan since Wonderfalls, I want to say. I, I sort of uh, came into Dead Like Me late because I didn't have Showtime back in the day. And uh, it's not like I was going to spend $100 on DVDs when, you know, remember when DVD shows of DVDs were hell of expensive? So mm-hmm. uh, now, I mean, fortunately, it's all streaming. But uh, for all intents and purposes, I, I kind of mirrored Brian Fuller's career with 
like the plight of an indie comic book creator where you have you may have a, a year or two's worth of material and then you're canceled after four issues and almost every Brian Fuller show for one reason or another has has hit that road that speed bump and never really come back so I always kind of just felt a, a, like Brian was a kindred spirit and I always joked that I would do a comic book about Brian Fuller's subconscious like there's there's got to be some crazy shit going on in there and uh the fact that all of his characters he doesn't have an avenue to be creative with those characters anymore they all started driving him slowly insane in my comic and it's really about Brian Fuller's artistic expression and him needing the avenue uh or it may drive drive him insane um Am I correct in, uh, I, I thought I had heard that he said that a lot of his shows exist in the same universe. There are, there are tie-ins. There are definitely tie-ins. And then okay. I that kind of meta aspect of it and then tied it into my story too. So there's a bunch of meta stuff that, uh, like, just as an example. Please tell me Hannibal and Pushing Daisies exist in the same universe. All, all of it does. All yeah. Of it, yeah, 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 yeah. And Star Trek Discovery? Yeah, so so I don't know if Discovery does, uh, but I do know that there are just some nods that he's made in several of his uh, uh, series, Muffin Buffalo being one of them. Um, and that just the idea of that has floated through two or three uh, of his shows, uh, Pushing Daisies and Wonderfalls. Um, and then I took it and ran with it. And then I, I subconsciously planted the words Muffin Buffalo and Brian Fuller's subconscious. And it turned out to be his imaginary friend that he's always trying to throw into series. So you'll see like weird little nods like that in this in the series. Um, but then it becomes a weird murder mystery inside Brian Fuller's mind. So it's really, really weird and fun and just kind of like, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm uh, I, I'm really big on fanfic, but I imagine that anyone that writes, I mean, Jeremy, when you're writing the, the Wasp, there's a level of like fanfic there, right? Because you enjoy the character so much and you grew up loving that stuff that when you get your your hands on the steering wheel, uh, it, it sort of feels like fanfic in a way. It's like, that can't be real that I'm able to do this. And that's kind of what I was able to do with mine. And uh, it went for three years and we just wrapped it up. So I'm super stoked. Uh, that we got to tell the story we wanted to do. And a lot of that was coming out of uh, really bad publishing deals where I was really not uh, too enthused with the comic book uh, society or culture, however however you want to describe it. And so I just thought, oh, I just want to do what I want to do and, and do it for free and just put it out there like I used to do. And, you know, that's, that's what Mind Palace is. That's really cool, though, because there's a lot of people out there that are working in fan fiction. Um, and it's a really nice kind of fun escape where you know when you're working on especially as you're if you're if you're working on a lot of big projects um you know and you have a lot of deadlines and stuff like that you just you, you know when you're in um comics there's there are stories that you want to tell and then there's the story that you're thinking about you know um and uh but with fan fiction you don't have to worry about so much of that like the the super significance of that the person the the personal quality of it um because you can sort of play around you already have your props you already have your setting you can just kind of explore that and and i think that um i mean hannibal is certainly one of those series that has a, a universe of fan fiction out there um and, uh, you know, I think it's a it's sort of a new, big uh, way for fans to interact. I mean, it's always been there, but like, you know, these days it's very, very common. A lot of people are into shows just for the fan fiction because they're invested in the fan fiction. They're like, oh, I want to go see the show this is based on, <laughs> you know. Hi, Chris, um, if you're listening. Yeah, Chris, <laughs> we love you. I mean, um, I definitely heard about Hannibal through Reputation first for seeing it. And I definitely heard about it as the gay cannibal murder show. And I remember getting through season one and being like, well, yeah, Lou is a little gay, but I don't see what all the hype is about. Then I got to season two and I'm like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, no, this checks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I like I like your title. That that would be the best title. The, if I didn't name it Mind Palace, it would just be uh, the gay murder show, which is a yeah. great name for something. I mean, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, uh, let's go ahead and get into talking about what it is we're talking about, at least before we, uh, you know, talk about everything that happens in three seasons worth of the show. The show is based on books by Thomas Harris, 
that you know have been adapted previously this happened sort of before red dragon or uh silence of the lambs or any of the you know versions of it we've seen the show does have the rights to red dragon it does not have the rights to silence of the lambs because i don't even know how that all works but somehow yeah well i mean this is sort of a retelling and a reimagining the uh the the whole relationship between hannibal and will graham in this show this very very prominent very gay sensual horror that goes on between them is based on like five lines of dialogue from red dragon you know that's where all all of what we get from the books where hannibal and will graham interact yeah i mean basically they have the rights to hannibal and will graham but not the x-men yeah (laughs) so speaking of how the rights are just crazy that is how we get the currently running show uh clarice a clarice sterling drama series that is not allowed to feature or even mention hannibal lecter so question for you there, has anyone seen that? Because I, I am not watching it because Hannibal is so fond in my heart and my mind that I can't bring myself to, to even entertain the idea of something that may be a lesser version of that. And so I just haven't even watched it. Yeah, to I, yeah. me, it's like between Silence of the Lambs, the movie, and now Hannibal, the TV show, I'm like, I, what can this, all, I, I don't know. Maybe it's great, I don't know. I have to divorce myself from the Hannibal series too much. Like I'm so I'm so into it right now. I mean, I've been into it. I feel like I have to spend some time uh, being less obsessed with it and less preoccupied with it in order to watch Clarice to really give it what it deserves. Uh, the the show is adapted, created, show run by Brian Fuller, who is responsible for just to name a few: Star Trek Discovery, Dead Like Me, Pushing Daisies, Wonder Falls, uh, Hannibal. Like we said, American Gods and wrote on both Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek DS9, as well as on Heroes. So he's got quite a track record. Um, Now we're talking just about the first three episodes here, because there's so much to cover in the series. Uh, we just wanted to to start right here at the beginning. Um, so, um, so, I, so th- here's my question, Ben. You you're very familiar with the Hannibal series. You watched at least through season two. Emily, it sounds like you've watched it. You've circled the sun on this show, right? You've you've oh, watched yeah. a ton of it. And then, Jeremy, you you watched. You started like recently. Yes, what is your yeah. <laughs> What is your opinion, uh, having binged? at least three episodes of this show where did you did it leave you wanting more or were you like i need to take a break i mean to some extent i i felt like i needed to to take a break just like i didn't want to watch any more episodes right then and there but it is one of those things that i feel like i am going to have to go back and watch more of it because it feels the the episodes feel like one of those like pieces of art where if you zoom in really quick it's like one picture of a person but then you zoom out and all the pictures together forming a much bigger picture like just the first couple episodes it's like you can feel it building in the background because it's it comes in it comes in with the knowledge that you know who Hannibal is like because it there are several things that happen in the first couple of episodes that it's like yeah you know he's evil you know he's a cannibal you know what's happening here but do you know everything that's happening here? Yeah. yeah. One thing that I think is a bit of a weakness to season one compared to like two and three once it had totally kind of gotten the audience buy-in on the totally serialized plot and it had all the moving pieces in place where season one is still this putting pieces into place combined with a case of the week structure. Right. And I feel like usually it's the case of the week that gets the short change in a lot yeah. of season episodes. Like, you know, the whole concept of the mushroom farm is like, is so creepy and awesome and like just creative. And it's exactly the kind of thing like I want from a, like this show. But from a pacing standpoint, it also doesn't get introduced until halfway through the episode, and it get, yeah. and it does it does get pushed under the rug really quickly, uh, and makes room for the overarching story, right? So that's I mean you're totally right, but I think you nailed it on the head. Like that was one of my comments on rewatching it was like, oh man, I forgot that this first season was episode of the week. It was killer of the week. Yeah. Well, but before before we get any further into that, let's just yes. get the, the details here real quick because we've got three episodes. We've got aperitif which is directed by David Slade, who is also the uh, director of Hard Candy, 30 Days of Night, Twilight Eclipse, 
And because I know Emily's going to mention it at some point, the Aphex Twin video, Donkey Rhubarb. So um, weird. I misread that and thought it said David Spade. I'm like, wow, he's really branching out, <laughs> right? Uh, what a cool, what wouldn't have expected that kind of work from him behind the camera. Good for him, David Spade. Yeah, and it's it's written by, uh, that episode is written by Brian Fuller. The second episode, um, Amuse-Bouche, is directed by Michael Reimer, who uh, also directed Queen of the Damned, as well as several episodes Good. of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, it is written by Jim Danger Gray, who has also written a bunch of stuff for Orange is the New Black and Pushing Daisies and Torchwood. The third episode is called Potage, also directed by David Slade. Uh, and this one is written by David Fury, who uh, is written for Buffy, Angel, Lost, 24. It has a couple of Emmy Awards, as well as Chris Brancato, who's written on, who's the creator of Narcos, wrote uh, Species 2, wrote for Beverly Hills 90210, and also Brian Fuller. Um, and as for who it stars, it's a, it's a big cast, but the big ones we'll probably be talking about here are Hugh Dancy, Mads Mikkelsen, Caroline Deverness, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and Hedy Ann Park. The IMDb for this says, explores the early relationship between renowned psychologist Hannibal Lecter and his patient, a young FBI criminal profiler who is haunted by his ability to empathize with serial killers. That's a real, like, basic basic yeah, outline it. for it in terms of the cast he might not have a big role but i'm absolutely going to talk about the legendary scott thompson of kids in the hall yep. yes absolutely. now um oh my God. as far as uh as far as the scare level in this show would you guys say this is spoopy as in not scary spooky as in a little scary terrifying as in very scary or existentially disconcerting which i'm gonna say right off the bat existentially disconcerting is my vote yeah, existentially disconcerting. Um, there's some spooky stuff, but there are some terrifying things if you are squeamish about uh, skin removal. I'd say there's a lot of like scary tense, and then if you're squeamish with gore, ooh, there's going to be a lot of less like terrifying gore that'll have you looking away from the screen a lot. I was more scared of myself for being so hungry the entire time. Right. So I, I told you, I worked it all out. It's not like they had human flesh on set. That's just a regular good ass meal they're cooking. Yep. Yep. That's Janice. I think it's Janice Yoon is the, uh, the uh, food designer. And so she was tasked with just creating all of the stuff that could look like parts of humans and make nice. it delicious. So yeah, she's great. But it's not, which is why I can enjoy it. Guilt Let me see. I think it might yeah. be... And as far as the trigger warnings, obviously cannibalism, obviously murder, very graphic gore, gaslighting and manipulation. So assault, much gaslighting. Yeah. Resembling sexual assault, though there's no actual like sexual assault in these episodes. And uh, there's also quite a bit of hunting and animal death, specifically deer, uh, throughout these first couple episodes. Uh, and also, if you've ever had a lot of trouble with a bad boss, uh, Jack Crawford, not the best manager. Oh, worst manager. He's got a cup. He's got a cup that says worst manager for sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to my description of Jack Crawford pretty soon. I think. Oh my God. Yeah, we have to unpack that, Jeremy. Several um, times in my notes I had, Jack Crawford is bad at his job. I, yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing about this show. Before the, uh, before the end of the spoiler, the non-spoilery section, because we're about, we're about there. Um, I just wanted to say in terms of the trigger warnings, mm. it's really interesting that there, this show is full of incredibly graphic gore, but no nipples. They even censor out, there's an image where they show a Botticelli and they censor out the nipples on the Botticelli. That's some NBC uh, standards and practices right there for you. This show feels like a lecture on American television standards and practices. Because it's, it's like, this is, we can get away with some really heinous shit, as long as there are no nipples. Can, can I ask one question? Would Hannibal still be going today if it didn't start on NBC? Like, if it was on HBO, would it have gone longer? Because it just doesn't feel like an NBC show to me at all. No. I think on HBO, it, yeah, it's wild that this was on NBC. Yeah. Like this is yeah. like, we got, I don't know, some spinoff of like America's Got Talent followed by the craziest fucking serial killer show you've ever seen. I yeah. would put it on like an AMC or an IFC yeah. or something like yeah. that. I don't I, think that especially I, this early like villain of the week approach would have flown at all on HBO. 
Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think those sort of like mid-high cable networks would, would work for it. I think on HBO, yeah, this show definitely gets. So let's get into talking about these first three episodes uh, and then try not to spoil the first three seasons as we do. We start off with an intro to uh, our protagonist, Will Graham, who I have written as a murder baby. Um, yeah, feral baby. Yeah. He is, he is a baby. Uh, Will Graham and his magical mental illness powers. Yeah, he thinks a lot about murder and uh, loves dogs. Really, really trying not to murder, but uh, you know, feels feels some murder vibes. Now, I feel like the thing with this show is it keeps trying to make it seem like oh, he's getting so like into the murder. I think it's the stagecraft. This is this whole series is just Will Graham's descent into arts and crafts. <laughs> well i mean yeah there's a lot of art and i i found in one of these episodes i found a, a literal um reference to that but we'll, we'll get there um yeah this this first sequence when i first watched the show i was hooked completely i was like this is aesthetic this is beautifully shot beautifully paced you know, it, it really takes the time, you, you know, it really sets the scene for the entire series. And Will Graham is baby. It's made me think I haven't been to a Kinko's in a really long time. Um, <laughs> oh, because you're scanner. Oh, the, mirror, the, the wiping effect. Every time, every time Will sees, sees things, it's like... That's how I'm, that's how I'm saying goodbye to you guys. Goodbye. Copies. Mm-hmm. I do love how <laughs> we get that kind of iconic will slogan uh throughout the series which is like that this is my design yeah yeah like seconds into it is the this is my design i gotta wonder about the security company that that is involved with this household though because the tea kettle password isn't very good it's a bad password it's very a bad good. password Shit, does she yeah. even say it with alternating cases i think she said it all in lowercase well i think there were definitely no numbers or special characters uh unless you count will graham (laughs) so we Um, we are introduced to the fact that uh will is on the spectrum he he says that he's closer to being autistic or having having asperger's than he is to being a serial killer whatever that means um i'm not qualified to discuss how this show deals with mental illness i it's yeah. questionable. I mean, it's not Rain Man, um, but like, it There's definitely very- has an element of like, I have a disability that makes me feel harder. And so yeah. I know about serial killers. Yeah, there's um, definitely that crime, that serial killer show trope of like, like I have that special trope so I can get inside their head. I think like the serial killer. In this case, they go with super empathy. Yeah, pure empathy, baby. That's, I mean, that that's a superpower in this day yeah. and age. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, why why wasn't Counselor Troy doing this? Like, Also, I think they also definitely play pure empathy as both a superpower and a weakness. It is, it is both his... Blessing his and curse. power and his yeah. But his look, Achilles we can't heel. psychoanalyze him because he knows all the tricks. Yeah, of, he of we don't like him when he's psychoanalyzed. Um, <laughs> he, he just has all the things. That's why you can't psychoanalyze. Which is him. why Will yeah. is completely ungaslightable and thus will never be manipulated or tricked in this entire series. Yep. Yeah. I think we can all agree that like uh, that Hugh does a great job with everything he's given though in this series. Yes. Oh, he, I mean, yeah. so good. He is so, acting his ass oh, off in this thing. So good. He's he's fantastic. Now I do want to say something about this um, this bit because this is one of the most difficult things in the show for me. I think like you know I recommend the shit out of the show. I love the shit out of this show, but I really tire of this trope. When they talk about it, I mean, it is explicitly connected to his ability. Um, definitely not in the books ever. You know, the fact that they've they've added this extra facet of him being on the spectrum is like, okay, that's an interesting, to say the least, choice. I, mean, I don't think that terminology would have even been in use when the books were written, right? Like they would oh, have yeah. like how- on the spectrum. The thing is, though, that they've they've when they mentioned the will being on the spectrum, it's about his social anxiety. Yeah. Now that doesn't um, make it have nothing to do with his ability, of course. But um, also, 
uh, he talks about his empathy being part of his imagination. So, you know, it can be argued that it is a bit more complicated than, you know, autism gives him superpowers, but it's still really, really like dancing on the, the rain swept precipice of problematic there. Um, but I uh, do appreciate that this isn't a show that like says he has a disability and then is like, but he's super like, and they just never yeah. come back to him having a disability again. It's like, that is maybe more of a part of Will's character than the superpowers is like, he is anxious. Like yeah. I, I feel for Will. In fact, I, I said specifically like after watching the first episode of this, I was on Twitter. I was like, after the first episode of this, I just want to hug Will Graham, but I know he wouldn't be into that. Like he doesn't even want to. He doesn't even want to look you in the eyes. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. Uh, like, but you know, it could be said though that if it weren't for Jack, this none of this uh, would have happened, right? He puts Will in in harm's way, uh, well, and he so well knows it. So that is that ties into my description of Jack Crawford, which is baby racer. <laughs> Can you please explain that for us, Jeremy. Yes. <laughs> Will is a murder baby. And Jack Crawford is like, let me put this baby in danger and see what will happen. <laughs> He's like, I just want to race this baby and see how it does. Jack is Crawford it- is constantly yelling at this murder baby, like, do your job, murder baby. And literally everybody else is like, Jack, that's a baby. Leave yeah. that fucking baby alone. And Jack's like, Jack- no, baby, solve these crimes. And meanwhile, Bill's over here like, ooh, ooh, I, I guess... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, but like, Alana specifically in that first episode is like, "Fucking look, he's a precious child, and you just leave him alone. Don't don't get him in too far." And Jack's like, "Sure, fine, I won't get him in too far." So <laughs> many of the Jack and Alana scenes can be boiled down to Alana being like, "Jack, don't you push Will too far?" And Jack goes, "I'm not going to push Will too far." And then the "It's Always Sunny" music plays, and it smashes cuts to Jack pushes Will too far. Yeah. <laughs> I always imagine in all those scenes, Jack just got his fingers crossed behind his back. He's like, sure, Alana. Yeah, of course I won't. He has a line where he flat out, where Hannibal says one thing and Alana says another. And Jack straight up says, I'm going to go with the one that's just more, that's just blatantly my agenda. I admire that honesty. That's true. Me too. That scene came around and they did that. And and Jack was like, I'm going to go with the answer that suits me. And I was like, well, at least you're fucking honest about it. He is. I right? feel like by season three, even he is like, yeah, I'm bad at my job. I'm <laughs> not good at this, you guys. So so that's, you know why? Okay, this is the only spoiler that I will say right now. The reason that Jack was bad at his job is because of that soul patch. The second that he just oh, grew God. a beard, it was it's fine. So, it's not even a legit soul patch. It's just like clinging mm. onto his lip. It's like- yeah. It looks like an accident. <laughs> they definitely didn't do that on purpose. That's how Lawrence Fishburne just showed up to set. Like, I have to believe that. You think that, like, they had, they had notes for him? They're like, you know, you, you probably just grew a beard, right? I mean, uh, it would look way better than that weird little bullseye right underneath your, your lip, right? It's like, no! <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne was like, fuck you, I'm Lawrence Fishburne. I'll wear whatever facial <laughs> hair <laughs> suits me. <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever facial hair suits my agenda. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, but yeah, you know what I love about uh, uh, Jack is his. It seems like he has an affection for Hannibal too. Like, oh yeah, he really he he has an under the table boner too. Like for Hannibal, especially during some of the you know the the eating scenes where Hannibal is subtly psychoanalyzing him, and there it's a real playful uh, relationship until it's not. And I won't yeah. get into spoilers, but yeah, I feel great. like. I feel like at this point in the show, like Jack truly does see Hannibal as a friend. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of sad because like Jack sort of is sitting there like, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He's so cool. Look at my Sugoi friend. Yeah, some scenes where he's like, really? Pork loin, you say? Real tasty. I like it. Good, Good chef, my buddy Hannibal. There's some great comics out there of people that are like, look have pictures of you know a lot of big red flags all over Hannibal and Jack Crawford just being like I just think he's nice I'd like to um, think he knew as soon as he took the first bite because of some horrible war story that he knew it was person he's just like man he cooks so good so long as he keeps inviting me to these dinner parties I ain't gonna arrest him 
Yeah. 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 Jack, Jack is literally like, do what you do best. Oh, you're crazy, but you can also solve, solve crime. Come on. You're working for me now. And he's like, oh, you're a great chef. Uh, you're, you might be a cannibal. Nah, but this tastes delicious. I'm going to eat it. It's great. So maybe Jack is just a people mover, right? I, I don't know. I think, well, I think it's also that Hannibal, I think that's what has sustained Hannibal through his incredible art career. Like how the fuck does he have time to do all this shit? Like as an artist, I'm like, I did some site-specific art, like site-specific sculpture while I was in undergrad. It still took me weeks. Like I know I was this college student and I wasn't like a psychopath as far as I could tell. But I mean, that's what psychopaths always say, but who knows? I feel um, like there's a fantasy element to Hannibal in that no one could actually, there's not enough time in the day to actually be as fancy as Hannibal is. Well, I, yeah, I think that's, that's what I was saying with like the supernatural elements that are in like the X-Files and stuff like that, where, you know, you have a procedural element and Hannibal really leans into, you know, some interesting supernatural imagery that's not like literal to the, the, the scenery and the, the story and everything. But the fact that Hannibal can magically like install field kabuki and also have time to make like this bomb ass dinner and then turn it into sausages to, you know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. That yeah. Hannibal is the fanciest motherfucker in the world. He yeah. comes an explicit plot point later yeah. on. Like Hannibal, yeah. Hannibal is Michael Myers if he was just fancy as fuck. Like he's just, he's every time you turn around, he's doing something else fancy. He's already doing it. And it's like, like wait, what, how the fuck did he get over here? Entire yeah. season-long arcs hinge on people going, that's the fanciest shit I've ever seen. I bet fucking Hannibal's behind that. Yeah. Well, okay, so <laughs> it's funny because we're talking about Hannibal. He doesn't even show up until 20 no. minutes into this episode. Mm-hmm. And, I was- and- I was like, if, if I had known this show was called Hannibal 20 minutes into this episode, I would have been like, what, is this just a procedural? Is this a law and order show? Like, Yeah. What, the alternate title was Will Graham is having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> Will Graham's very, no good, very bad day. Doesn't matter what day it is, it's equally applicable. They're so, all bad. The Jack comes to Will because there are missing girls and he wants him to find help him find and hopefully recover the missing girls. One of them has just gone missing. And, uh, you know, they, they think maybe there's still time to save this girl, but he needs somebody who can really get in the killer's mind and figure stuff out. Um, and so they, they go with the crime, they go to the crime scene to investigate. And uh, Will, Will wanders aimlessly around the house while listening to Jack talk to the parents and then uh, solves it just by knowing what the killer did. Yeah. Well, he, he asked what, how the cat was, and that's what unlocks the whole mystery. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. must be the best at mist. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if this is an orthodox thing for the FBI to go to the, the parents and be like, so your daughter's probably dead. Uh, where did you see her last? Because, you know, she fits the profile of all these dead-ass people. Oh, excuse me, they're missing. We, we don't have any evidence. The, the leaps in logic are so wonderful. It's like, he... F- the cat was fed jack he loved these girls yeah it's well there's there's some stuff between there (laughs) but um in the relationship between jack and will is is also interesting because you know jack is a baby racer i guess we can't use baby driver but um he (laughs) i just keep seeing like baby eraser i'm just imagining someone just with a giant pencil just erasing babies um at least you're not thinking of the eraser head baby but um the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the weird thing that introduces their relationship that I always re- like that I always forget about is where Jack adjusts Will's glasses on his face at like the very first time like he comes into Jack's class or comes into Will's class and is like hi I hear that you are you have social anxiety let me touch your face I, I like which he later trades that off to the character of Bev who who we meet shortly who's whole thing seems to be like hey go poke will for a while Bev, can go poke will in the face like i just have this like picture of i was telling emily like my picture of them is just like jack laying on the ground saying please stop that and like bev on top of him just like poking him in the face will bev is constantly now bev i feel like and and um bev is 
referred to here. Um, so you have the the three forensics team. Um, you have Bev, Bev the is, the powerful bisexual. Bev is here to chew bubblegum and fuck with Will, and she's all out of bubblegum. Yeah, <laughs> she's she doesn't just fuck with Will, but she's also fantastic. Also, I feel like she's a better um, representation of someone on the spectrum because she she reads to me as like definitely you know somebody who is um on the spectrum a lot more subtly of course because will is like very socially anxious and and you know bev we don't get to see in you know baby driver situations as much she's there she knows her job and she does it it doesn't involve empathy it involves like you know finding very very good clues i mean bev seems like but a sociopath we, to me. like just we don't get to see bev she's there for fun how dare you how dare you Bev is wonderful. That doesn't mean she can't be a sociopath. She can be a wonderful sociopath. Yeah. I like James Bond. That's a great sociopath right there, James Bond. No. I mean, I would, <laughs> I'm I, going to respectfully disagree with you. I would I would pay money to see a movie with uh, Hetty and Park as James Bond. I'm just saying. That's well, yes. Um, there movie. I will agree. Bond, super sociopath. That dude's just like murdering people, then just dropping one-liners like it ain't no thing. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and so you have Beverly Katz, mm. and then you have Jimmy Price, who is Jimmy Price doesn't really matter tier. in these episodes. He, he doesn't, doesn't, but he's Scott Thompson, which makes him incredible. Uh, he's, he's great. Got some, he's got some great subtle comedic lines in there too. Like you really have to pay attention to everything he says because you'll laugh like five minutes later. You'll be like, oh, that, you know, he was oh, talking right, about the... being sober. I, I, I can't remember what the line was. Oh, he's like, oh, oh I'm not a recovering alcoholic. Oh, yeah, no, it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like Brian Zeller saying like, oh, recovering alcoholics like do this. Like, sorry, Jimmy. He goes like, oh, I'm not recovering. <laughs> so you have right. bisexual Bev, Jimmy Price, and straight Zeller. And that's your your forensics team. Um, and I do appreciate that their primary function, at least in these episodes, is to have conversations that Will can listen to and then correct. Because like, Will, Will likes to participate in conversations the way I like to participate in conversations, which is to listen to everybody else talk and then dip in with one line that sounds really profound and then out. Like, they, yeah. really, they definitely remind me of the trio of doctors in House who exist to be the doctors who aren't as smart as House. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So also, I, wanted, I want to break another thing down here. When Will is, yeah, I'll, I'll um, break, it down. break it down. So when Will is shown this group of victims, all the photos of the victims, and he's trying to figure out the the profile of whoever is behind this, right? We don't have any evidence. We just have, it's just like a map. It's like an always sunny kind of map with lines on it. Mm -hmm. um, and Jack is like, here's the problem. And Will's like, so this guy, this this killer or kidnapper or whatever, because I don't know about that. They're, they're assuming it's dead. Um, is like Willy Wonka. And this girl is his co golden ticket. And I'm like, Willy Wonka made the golden tickets. Uh... Technically, he made it this golden ticket too. So, yeah. That's true. <laughs> right? oh, what? Yeah, it's like Willy Wonka wasn't searching for the golden ticket. <laughs> so that or actually not... works really well as a meta. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> First, I was like quibbling, like, well, I read this as a metaphor, it doesn't really work, and I keep talking about it. It's a bit problematic because it's in food. Oh, wait a minute, it's in food. <laughs> I did, I did have a few moments where they're talking about like serial killer theory. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a thing I remember from Mindhunter, which we all know is a completely factual documentary about serial killer. Like, it, well, yeah, yeah, and also the, the revelation that Will has in this scene in, in these, yeah. Uh, parents house is that the the child has been returned to her room dead um and that she has like uh antler fluff i, I can't remember the velvet term. yeah yeah in in her uh, in her wounds and they apparently the the killer was trying to heal her because he couldn't honor her properly uh, which we later find out is because uh she had liver cancer and he couldn't eat her liver the way he wanted to so he had to sew her back up and put her back 
Just returning something from the murder grocery store. Can't eat it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. That's past that's its expiration date. Mm-hmm. Look, you get look. You uh, you know you buy a return of around. You're like, I would like to return this. Right. Yeah. I, I here's my receipt for your daughter that I killed. Here you go. She that has already been opened, but yeah. I put her back. So I, I guess look, it's still I mean, be it's still all okay now. Like a it's secondary market. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you open up a package of meat and it's spoiled, you can just try. I think. I've never done it because I just eat the spoiled meat. But, you know, I think potentially. <laughs> you were also a feral baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Garrett Jacob Hobbs, uh, murderous monster or responsible shopper? Who's to say? <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, Why are those two things mutually exclusive, Ben? He has to honor the food. He has to honor the meat. Look, there's a big, like, Marie Kondo vibe. Like, this food sparks joy. This food does not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Marie Kondo took care of Hannibal at some point in his life, but we'll get into that. Now we're getting into CD. Yeah, sorry. Um, in, in the midst here of this whole exchange, you know, we we meet Bev, we meet Jimmy, we meet Straight Zeller, but um, Straight Zeller, he's the only straight one. He is he is? Um, he's and he's also like very. I don't know. Like I've never seen. I've well, actually, I have. I've seen a lot of characters that come off just so aggressively straight, but Zeller is definitely one of them. Um, yeah, Zeller Jack, is on loan from a Fast and Furious movie. Jack yeah. Crawford comes <laughs> off as aggressively bad at his job. Jack Crawford, he's like the other, like what I would call str- quote unquote straight person in this whole thing. Um, notice I said the other because there are only two and those are them. Um but so they also introduce Alana Bloom, right? And and for me, Alana is the one of the most tragic characters in the series. And I'm not going to spoil yes. it, but it feels like they just don't really know what to do with her. And even in this episode, I'm kind of like, what is she doing? And I already know, but I'm kind of like, her purpose was to to introduce Will to Hannibal or Jack to Hannibal to Will. But then as the series goes on, I'm like, every season's a different Alana Bloom. Yeah. It's a totally different, they're like, they're constantly trying to figure out, like it, her storylines don't feel like they come from natural extensions of her. They come from them just trying to figure her out. It feels like they're, she's constantly existing in relation to other characters and whatever the story needs her to be to them at that moment. She right. is, she is definitely like um, sometimes a plot hole stopper, which is really sad because she's, there's a lot of her character. Um, and I will say that her, her character is based off of a character from Red Dragon. I can't remember the guy's name, but it was a man. Alan Bloom. Alan Bloom. Okay. So he was in one tiny little scene where he was talking, he was like helping Jack with a profile of, of the, you know, the Red Dragon killer. Um, and, and Will Graham is like, he's, he seems nice. And that was it. Like that was all we got of him in the books and any other material i don't even know if he's in the movie red dragon uh or the movie man manhunter i will say Um, alana bloom does seem nice the other thing is that immediately jack is like so you gonna bang will which is like jack what the fuck bad 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 boss bro he's the worst he's just so bad (laughs) i think he's just trying to like my marriage isn't working out vibes well uh jack's like jack's like i'm not getting any i hope somebody is jack like look at how jack treats whether it's the forensics people, whether it's Hannibal, Will, and Alana, like all the people kind of under his command, does he ever inspire any leadership? It feels like he's always without coffee and berating them and trying to duck out of work early at the same time. <laughs> he's a fabulous dresser. I'm going to give him that. He's not a Hannibal, but he yeah. looks like he looks like a professional. He's just he's- internally unprofessional as fuck. He's I, way I, more stylish than I'd expect, like an FBI boss. That's over—that's over, overcompensation. But go ahead, sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry. I just want to say, like, over the series, I will say, Jack Crawford. I don't know. I don't want to say it gets better, but you definitely feel for Jack Crawford. Yeah. Um, now, I will say also, Jack Crawford is in all the books. Yes, yes, he's in all the <laughs> except for Hannibal Rising, but yes, sort of doesn't count. Um, but Jack Crawford is in Silence of the Lambs 
and was the um, inspiration for Commissioner Skinner, like the silhouette, or not Commissioner, uh, Director, Assistant Director Skinner. From the X-Files. From the X-Files, yeah. So, you know, there's that that lineage there, you know, and originally, of course, all the characters were pretty white in the, the Thomas Harris books. So after this scene, we get the introduction of Hannibal. The yeah. character he's talking about, we haven't been waiting to talk about, but he's finally introduced. Just giving a patient the worst advice. But he does make a really great expression when Jack Crawford shows up and he's like, Jack Crawford, FBI. And he thinks that Franklin is Hannibal Lecter, which is like... Which I've never quite understood like that scene where it's like, oh, he gets them mixed up. Is it because like, oh, look at how crazy this European man suit is. Such a crazy suit wearing man could never be a psychologist. I assume that's just Jack Crawford fucking with people. Like, yeah. I assume Jack Crawford just walks into rooms and intentionally misidentifies people to put them ill at ease. Oh, that just seems a- like the kind of power move that a fucker like that would have that is exactly the kind of walk in a room and shake hands with the fucking cat hannibal great meet you (laughs) come over here yeah we're like franklin is like a a small nugget where hannibal is like an entire like eagle standing there we really got to talk about i mean everybody knows this everybody in the world knows that mads mickelson is like has some sort of otherworldly charisma but his acting in this is so fucking good and like his how he his expressions are readable just by the muscles around his eyeballs there are this show really really takes advantage of that because there are just long shots in this show of people talking about things that Hannibal has done that they do not know Hannibal has done where like there'll be a whole speech a couple times in this about where Will is talking about something that Hannibal has done that he does not know Hannibal has done. And this will just, it'll be just a long zoom of Hannibal's unmoving face. Well, it's just like... There's the scene later on in, I think, episode two or... No, I think it's episode three. Three. Where... Will is teaching a class on a murder that Hannibal did and Hannibal yes. is watching the class and they are just eye-banging the shit out of each other. There's a whole scene. Like, it is murder foreplay for them. Uh, I mean, welcome to the show. What about the scene where uh, Abigail Hobbs is talking about the voice on the phone and they pan on Hannibal's face and there's this moment of recognition between both of them? The moment yeah. where the moment where she's talking about, th- this is episode three, so we're jumping ahead, but the moment where she's like, let's role play. I'll be me and you be my dad and you be the guy on the phone and like yeah. looks right at Hannibal. And it's, it's like- so good. Oh, yeah. everybody in this has, scene see, is like, crazy. Okay. He has yeah, and very, Hannibal's like clench. The very subtle smile he has in the face that you then see very subtly disappear. Yeah. yeah. And then he has a sense of like, oh, okay. I'm going to need to manipulate the shit out of this girl. She's like, okay. He's like, oh, I've got to put those go pieces right around, all around her. Um, like, time to time to time for some 40 chess of the old Hannibal style. We should we should uh, get into wrap up episode one and get into episode two because I do want to keep talking about it because I think episode three is where things really start to kind of coalesce. And, yeah. But but like two is it almost feels like an episode of the week. Like like we said about the Mushroom Man, uh, it was yeah. Oh, it, yeah, I want to. Yeah, so I, Jack Jack introduces Will to Hannibal, and Hannibal immediately just starts fucking with Will, just like for fun and sport. Like, <laughs> it's like you know, oh yeah, Will here is our guy that feels pure empathy and like is investigating serial killers, and Hannibal's like neat. Poke, poke, poke. poke. They have a super subtexty breakfast. Yeah, That's, this is before that. This is just like in the office, and it leaves with it. It ends with Will just being like. Fuck it, I'm gone. I hate psychologists. I'm gone. I'm going away. And Hannibal being like, oh, this was going to be fun. There is a scene here where Will has his dog, Winston. He finds Winston and takes him home. Winston is very important. We also see that the Will has like a million dogs in his little ramshackle house out in the country. Um, this is important because. Was that Will him is- finding Winston? Because I like, as Winston right away, because I assume that's just 
a dog that Will just picked up off the street. It's like, you're Winston now. Oh yeah, no, no. He finds he's he finds a stray and then immediately names it Winston and then introduces him to like everybody, uh, everybody being all the dogs. Um, and then he has a Russian surrealism inspired dream where he wakes up in a sweat and then goes to back to sleep in towels. That's important because it's relatable. Anyway. Oh no, I'm so those are that's bad if you're having ghost deer dreams yeah that's too much Hannibal if you are also having Will Graham's nightmares but I, <laughs> if you're having Will Graham nightmares I don't know man maybe watch a Shiro or a Parks and Rec give yourself a little palate cleanser yeah that's that's important I, I do appreciate this this next murder because it must mean <laughs> that Hannibal was briefed on this whole thing on the murder, on the way that people are murdered, on, on what it is, and then immediately left the office and was like, I'm going to find a girl who looks kind of like these other girls to murder and leave in a field just to fuck with Will and see if he figures out it's not the right guy. Like, I want to see if this is for real. I get that because there's also the standpoint of, you know, Jeremy, you're a writer. You see someone who, like, makes an awesome cut book, like, does something really cool. You're like, ooh, I want to try to, I wish I could try to do something like that like in that style <laughs> fucking you know hannibal's like oh you know what it's like i'm learning some new things i want to try to incorporate some new stuff into my style I'm, I'm gonna have a new creative influence and i can fuck with will two birds I don't think, one yeah stone. i don't think that hannibal wanted to like you know dabble in the um the gauche ways of derek derek jacob hobbs so much as he just wanted to help i mean he explicitly says i think i can help will see this killer's face and so he's basically like, here's a negative for Will's positive. I think that Hannibal kills this girl with the intention of helping Will solve the crime. Absolutely. Yes. Doing yeah. Absolutely. That, that's such a Hannibal logic. Yeah. yeah I he's mean, like the, he's like the reverse flash. He feels like, it, to, to comic reference you, he's just, he's making Will better by doing horrible things and involving Will. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is, yeah. Hannibal is really just an op- full-on operation gaslight. Yeah, because Will and Will has this like violent reaction to this girl being dead in the field. Not just the girl being dead in the field, but that he figures out that it's a copycat and he's like, "Fuck this! It's 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 humiliating for her." Like he's really like this guy isn't even close. He doesn't he doesn't get this guy at all. Like whoever this copycat is, they're they're not even you know they're not even good. Yeah, if you. If you- <laughs> I, I, I think that if if Hannibal was doing it just for shits and giggles and not trying to push Will along, he may have been offended by that, right? And oh, we didn't yeah. see any of that on his face at all. He was just like, mm, good, Will. <laughs> right? So yeah, it's, it's like, like reading somebody doing it. It's like my reaction I when I read somebody do a Watchmen knockoff and I'm just like, it's not even, like, it's not even a good Watchmen knockoff. Stop it. Like, clearly, like, clearly you read that Watchmen and got the wrong things from it. Because Will sees through the crime, he is rewarded with. Yeah. But first, he's in the shower, and we first see our favorite mascot of the show, the Nightmare Stag. I love the Nightmare Stag, nightmare by the stag. way. It's yes. so great. Yes, the Nightmare Stag is mwah. Yeah, in my notes, I just have capital letters, T-H-E, S-T-A-G, baby. I was just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I say I'm going to go stag, that's what I mean. That's scary uh, as shit. This breakfast scene is everything like just the lines where it's like keep it professional mm-hmm. yeah. like f- Hannibal's finish your breakfast you sexy mongoose yeah so we have the teacup image that comes in here which is a recurring theme the mongoose sadly doesn't come back uh I'm sad that they don't incorporate he, sexy mongoose images there's plenty, <laughs> but there's plenty of goosing that's gonna happen is, oh there's a lot of goosing, a lot of goosing. Well, my biggest like reaction in the scene bird. was would somebody please turn on a fucking light in this room because you all are like just eating in the most dramatic possible lighting in this half open window it's just like just turn on a, just turn on the light guys like Jeremy you've seen Will's house yeah you've seen how he lives how are we supposed to know he has mental health issues if the, the lights are on? <laughs> <laughs> so that's another thing is there's a bit here, there's a line here that's taken directly from the book, which I think is a masterful choice in terms of adaptation, which is the you and me are just alike, problem free, which in Red Dragon, Will says that to Hannibal while he's in 
the jail cell um so if you've seen red dragon the movie the seed in, in manhunter and red dragon you know they've been out so the the idea in, in red dragon is that it's after it's like ages after will has even met hannibal and there's you know will has come back to hannibal to and hannibal's in in jail um edward norton plays will graham in the uh the red dragon of 2002 2003 i can't remember um and of course anthony hopkins is is there um and then the first a weird way to say that anthony hopkins is there <laughs> anthony hopkins is there <laughs> yeah, yeah he's part of it he's giving an oscar-winning performance together I mean, that's like I when I say Anthony Hopkins is there, I think the Oscar-winning performance is implicit, right? I mean, it, it does it does I'm, sound like he's an also ran in this case, but you know. Um. <laughs> um. So I was I was really um like really into that, and because you know adaptations sometimes don't happen so great, but this was uh, beautifully done um and also it's a sort of this scene by itself sets a foundation for the rest of the series um yes. and they flirt a lot they go to the uh the construction get, site yes and they go through the info site. and immediately determine who the killer is by looking at uh who didn't list an address when they they left um which uh will later acknowledges is like a yeah it was just a little like wasn't a, a real hint it was just a thing i noticed and then you know bad bookkeeping and that's, that's how he knew he was the killer makes a phone call somehow blocks the number i don't know how blocking phone numbers do that or how he does that from an office like landline like warns the killer like they know what is it star 77 is that isn't that like what if this guy wasn't the killer what if he was just a guy who forgot to put an address on like his resignation let like form then and no just gets to... all he said is they know just like they yeah. know and then he's like well that's the thing whatever like, secret Hamble- this guy had was going to be on oh shit the irs knows about my taxes exactly so like hannibal did that to make him panic so if he was if if they went to derek jacob hobbs's house and he wasn't panicking and killing everybody then they're like okay well it's definitely not him also how fucking petty is hannibal that like in order to get this time alone in the office he like walks outside and spills papers everywhere and is like Oh, we'll pick that up for me. Well, I was like, I'm going to go back it. inside uh, and warn our serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> that scene is so... He, Hannibal Ooh, does have like... Paper. Yeah, what he has big butter. cat energy. I do all the cooking with the butter, so it's on the fingers. You yeah, pick it. He's, <laughs> he's that, <laughs> Don't ask that you what cat. accent that was. <laughs> that, hey, was a, that was my Sokovian accent. accent. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, that so, same vibe. Yeah, so Will and Hannibal uh, head off to Garrett Jacob Hobbs's house and arrive to find a, a bleeding woman stumbling out to die. Because uh, that's that's just what follows Will everywhere he goes. Um, and she, you know, she stumbles out, bleeds all over the place, and dies immediately. They go in to find Hobbs with a knife to his daughter's throat, um, he, which he mo- then moves to cut, and Will shoots him a bunch. Will just uses all the bullets. We'll find some more bullets, reloads his gun, and shoots some more. I was like, I don't know how many bullets this gun has, but Will uses every single one of them. He used 10, uh, according to the next episodes. He talks about it. This right here is why he doesn't get to be a real FBI agent. <laughs> right, yeah. right. It's not the psyche valve. It's the fact that he's a terrible shot. Fucking every time. Like, I feel like Freddie and Bev, every time it's like, Here's Will Graham. He's with the FBI. They just love going like, but not really because he's fucking crazy. <laughs> crazy. Freddie like, and Bev are totally Bev. banging, by the way. Um, I'd ship that. <laughs> like in a hot second. So this this scene where um, Derek Derek Pobbs gets shot a bunch and then Will is like helping Abigail and Will is panicking. So, you know, he's not just a bad shot. He's also panicking. But um the Derek Jacob Hobbs is like slumping, dying, and he's like, see, um, which is another is sort of the the basis of all of Will's like issues here. This is you know him getting too close, but this also is also a dragon moment. Do you see? Yeah. So this is also from Red Dragon. This is the from the sentence question mark that mentions Derek Jacob Hobbs in Red Dragon, where it's like Will Graham hadn't 
been into doing profiling ever since that thing happened with Derek Jacob Hobbs. And he was like, and that was it. So in the books, that's the one serial killer he he caught. So really, he just did profiling and caught the one guy and then stopped profiling. Well, no, he did. He did Hannibal Lecter, too. Okay, he got two. That's worth it. That's okay. I mean, those are two. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's got a really good record. He's two for two. I'm just saying, case of the week format really lets you rack up the the arrests. Well, he was like, anyway. So Hannibal just like wanders into this scene of Will shooting everybody. Hannibal... I should mention everybody should know as a serial killer at this point because he just like walks past this woman bleeding to death on her front porch, walks into the house, is not bothered at all by Will shooting every bullet mankind has ever made into this guy. <laughs> and, and then just like walks over and holds this gaping wound on this girl's neck as if to show Will like, here, apply pressure. That's how you do this. What the fuck are you doing? Well, Will's, Will's panicking. Will's also- like, oh, blood blood and just like yeah the wound and Hannibal's like here just hold her head up and put pressure on it um well Hannibal Hannibal is a serial killer but he's also a psychiatrist a chef a surgeon a teleporter a teleporter a a, a harpsichord player harpsichord (laughs) player theremin player yeah reader I would imagine how fucking extra do you have to get Brian Fuller like seriously so extra oh my god outside where the ambulance is taking um Abigail Hobbs uh away Alana uh, angrily confronts Jack and says uh that he that Jack said he wouldn't let uh Will get too close to which I said yeah Jack Crawford says a lot of things also I kind of feel like there's a lot of things in here that are Jack Crawford's fault and that's not one of them Jack Crawford was like, go to a construction site and see if you can find any leads. And Will was like, I'm going to go to a home and bust a serial killer. Fair. Wait, that's not what Jack told you to do. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go to a home and, you know, do door-to-door investigation. And then Hannibal is going to make everybody kill each other because he's a serial killer, surgeon, psychiatrist, blah, 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 blah. And also, you know, just bringer of chaos. Um, and uh forgive me but is garrett jacob hobbs and are are, are garrett and hannibal friends mentors colleagues uh, i know this is no. pure serial killer bros before fbi boyfriend hoes like type situation i don't okay. think so i think i think hannibal just calls him again to fuck with will because if yeah. will can just go in and arrest the guy where's the fun in that like yeah, Hannibal's if like. If you ever see Riverdale, it's a real Cheryl Blossom. I'm in the for chaos moment. Yeah, Hannibal's like, let me just call this guy so that he's actively murdering when we show up, and we'll, we'll yeah, have to, to do sure. something about it. Yeah, when they do get there, and he's looking at the wife, he just does have this look of like, oh, so that's what happened. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So, so they end up um, sleeping in, you know. Abigail Hobbs's room. Abigail Hobbs is asleep with the, you know, she's out. Abigail Hobbs, by the way, is the daughter of Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Who yeah, she's the golden ticket. Yeah. Apparently. Gets her throat partially slashed and then uh, comas. Yeah. I, well, it was, it was upsetting. Like the coma part, I understand. I don't know how often that results from like somebody slashing the side of your neck. Um, Dad. I mean, really, there's only one way to find the only one way to find out. And mm. I, <laughs> yeah, oh God. Well, okay. So mathematically, though, she didn't lose a dad. She just gained two. Right. So um, of, of equal or better quality. Yeah. Like having Hannibal and Will as a as as dads. I mean, there's her a lot of fan dads fiction are no more murdery than her original dad. Yeah, they are either as as murdery or less murdery than. I'm her. sure the food was better. Oh yeah, my it, god! I'm sure. I'm sure Hannibal has more money than Garrett. I'm sure that uh, he's gonna buy her sweet ass clothes like he's got right. So. Oh yeah, she's gonna be Gucci for days. Like she's seriously. already been. She's already been eating great uh, human food, uh, and now she doesn't have to wor- uh, worry about uh, hair stuffed pillows. So, yeah. spoilers, I do feel like it was a missed opportunity on the series to never give her and Hannibal legit matching outfits for an episode. 
Oh God. Oh my God. That would be, and, and they're riding horses. They're dressed as jockeys, really spectacular jockeys. I mean, and they're really... riding horses. And then earlier in the episode, like Hannibal gives a gift of an outfit to Will and was like, what the fuck? I'm not going to wear this. And then he shows up and it's like the outfit that like Hannibal and Abigail are wearing. Slow motion but too. He's he walks in Western. The... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also like, so this, this begs the question in the third episode when Abigail starts wearing this, uh, this wrap around her neck. Is this because she has a slash in her neck or because fe- like Hannibal has immediately made her that much more fashionable that she's just, you know, yes. wearing, yes. wearing yes. silk scarves. Yeah. Yes. Ben's, Ben's nailed it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All of the above and everything more. <laughs> well, that's okay. the end of episode one. It ends with them sleeping in her room. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Dave Dwanch. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and is provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us at Patreon or contact us by Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. <laughs>